0: It is no surprise that the conservative movement, like the libertarian movement, is stretched, is fractured, is struggling to find some common language and points of agreement. There is a new statement out by a large contingency of conservatives, generally more towards the classical liberal side, and I would almost say libertarian side that have put together a statement of principles known as the freedom conservatism statement of principles my guest Parker McCumber and I walk through this statement and talk a little bit about it uh, Parker has been on before he is uh, classical liberal and somebody that has thought deeply about these principles and you'll hear why and we'll take you through all 10 of the principles we'll see what you agree with Let us know if you agree or disagree over at ChrisBangle.com on the comments for this podcast and let us know what you think. We agreed with, I agreed with almost all of them. I agreed. I think some of them didn't go far enough and I don't know how much we can agree on issues of things like foreign policy, but I think it's important to at least find the points of agreement so we can start working towards some civil path. As opposed to civil war. Let's take a look at the Freedom Conservatism Statement of Principles right after these words on the Chris Spangle Show. We run on the value for value model here on the Chris Spangle Show and the We Are Libertarians Podcast Network. That means do you get value out of the show? Do you learn something that helps you sound smarter when talking with your friends? Do you feel a little bit more connected to the world and inspired to do something a little bit differently? Well, then please give some value back. And the best way that you can do that is through our Patreon. You can go to supportcss.com or patreon.com slash We Are Libertarians, and you can join our Patreon. Not only do you support the program and the entire We Are Libertarians podcast network by helping pay all of the bills, you're also going to get ad free shows. You're going to get early releases, sometimes months in advance, in terms of episodes that haven't been released in the public feed yet. You'll also be able to get the full archives, the full RSS feed. Of all the past episodes and there's even a tier that you can come on the show or you can have your name mentioned every episode like i am about to do right now thank you so much to our 100 a month members especially vincent Picole matthew durbin jason dolittle christy avery and our good friend reinhold thank you so much for supporting us and we appreciate everybody that considers making a contribution today parker thanks so much for coming back on the chris spangle show
1: Thanks so much for having me, Chris. Pleasure to be with you. Yeah, I'm blanking on what did you come back and discuss last time? Do you remember? It was gun control. Gun Gun control, control. that's right, yeah. After Washington had signed their bills into effect to institute waiting periods for AR-15 purchases.
0: Yeah, so go check that episode out. So if you didn't listen to that one, Parker is an entrepreneur, U.S. Army veteran, and contributor for Young Voices who specializes in economics, international affairs, and firearms policy. You can follow him at Parker underscore McCumber on Twitter. I will not call it X. I don't care what you've got in your bio. It just sounds wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I just refuse. So you're here today to talk about where conservatism is heading. So let's get our priors out of the way. I'm a former Republican turned libertarian party turned politically homeless guy in terms of my politics. And I'm libertarian, but I definitely am probably more in the classical liberal constitutional Republican smaller camp. So that's where I'm coming from. So when I read the freedom statement of principles from freedom conservatism, That you're here to talk about today. I agree with a lot of it. I imagine you do too if you're here to promote it. So, where do you think you fall generally on the spectrum?
1: Chris, you could have just cut out what you said and just applied it to me. Formerly identified as a Republican, now a libertarian. I definitely lean classical liberal and that base foundation of conservatism.
0: All right. I think we can both agree that conservatism and really libertarianism as a movement is in crisis. I think it's a little bit. Libertarianism is generally more grounded thanks to the non aggression principle. But mm-hmm. conservatism over time, a Robert Taft conservative in the 40s is different than a Whitaker Chambers conservative, is different than a William F. Buckley <laughs> conservative, is different than a Reagan conservative, is different than whatever the hell Josh Hawley is. So there's <laughs> a little bit more of a sliding scale, I think, in conservatism. Generally, for those who don't know what conservatism is, it's meant to conserve the natural rights tradition. A conservative is supposed to be a person that wants to preserve the Declaration of Independence principles and the principles of the Constitution and natural rights. And that's broken apart in the Trump era. That's how I view the crisis is that they've unmoored and moved more towards populism. How do you read the crisis in conservatism if you think there is one?
1: I actually wrote an opinion on this, and I think part of the bigger picture of the crisis, when most people hear the word conservative, they think GOP. And you look even today, Speaker McCarthy getting voted out. Yeah. If you think uh, conservatives as Republicans, that party is in shambles. They have no foundation of leadership at the moment.
0: It's really odd when there's a large contingent of the Republican Party that thinks that Robert Kennedy Jr. would be a better representative than Mike McCarthy. I'm not saying McCarthy's not a spineless weasel, but he's a lot more like conservative than Robert Kennedy Jr. I would call that the identity crisis, is that there's no consistency in terms of principles within the modern Republican Party or conservatism.
1: Definitely. And if you look at that across the party, look at the presidential race with the different factions. And many of them have just these followers that are so almost like a cult where they're locked in on their nominee and who they're going to support. And they're willing to fight other conservatives to the death. It just seems a little bit wild to me, the different factions that you have. And I think a lot of those factions stems from the evolution of differing beliefs on differing subjects. And the freedom conservatism statement of principles really realigns, I think, what conservative values are fundamentally, what they should be fundamentally. And it's really refreshing to me to read that and say, yes, this is what I view conservative beliefs to be. This is what my take on this is. And and so I, I view it as something that represents myself and that many other conservatives would also fall in line with and say, yes, this is where our party should be headed. This is where our political beliefs align. Um, and it's just frustrating to me that the higher levels of differing conservative leaderships in different maybe parties or, or caucuses don't align with this.
0: Yeah, so before we dive into the principles and about the freedom conservative statement, do you think sometimes in diagnosing the problem here that we confuse principles with like I would – like I look at – like within the libertarian movement, there's a lot of people where I do agree with a lot of what they say. I just don't like how they say it. So it's the style as opposed to the substance. Do you think that we're not very clear on the right in articulating where we disagree in terms of principles and where we disagree in terms of practice?
1: I definitely think that's a, a cause uh, to the problem here and why there's so much factionism and differing or differences in opinion definitely we need to be better about talking about what the actual issues are and how we're going to address them. I think there's big divergences in both of those.
0: Yeah. So if you go back and look at the John Birch Society in the 50s and you read their blue book, which I have a copy laying around here somewhere, it really reads like a lot of the MAGA movement. And you had a lot of the same strains. You had the more... I don't know, government-friendly statist Eisenhower Republicans, you had mm-hmm. more Reagan conservatives, you had a bunch of different strands in the 50s and even into the 60s that could never come together. And the uniting force was something called the Sharon Statement and really William F. Buckley. So can you talk about that statement in which the freedom conservative principles are based on?
1: Uh, yes, so I believe that was authored in in the Early 1960s or 1960? September 11th, Um,
0: 1960.
1: Yep. There we go. And essentially, it was that basis uh, when somebody thinks about conservatism and they think about the individual liberty, the smaller federal governments, they think about free economic policies. That's where this is, I think, really stemming from, in my opinion document that statement essentially laid the groundwork for the modern view of conservatism.
0: Yeah, so the Sharon Statement, founded at in Sharon, Connecticut at William F. Buckley's house, it had 12 clauses— First was, the foremost among the transcendent values is the individual's use of his God-given free will, whence derives his right to be free from the restrictions of arbitrary force. William F. Buckley and all the eggheads were writing this, the new statement's a little bit more clear, but basically the purpose, it seemed like, was to give a standard, so look, if you broadly agree with these principles, then we're in concert and we can support each other and Mm -hmm. we'll work together, and helped shape the Reagan Revolution, now, fast forward to today, who is behind the founding of Freedom Conservatism, A Statement of Principles?
1: So Freedom Conservatism is, or the Statement of Principles has, I think now they're in the hundreds of, of signers who have backed this. And it ranges from people like Richard Army, who was a former U.S. House majority leader, to some names that, that I know are on the list as Drew Bond, the Conservative Coalition for Climate Solutions. So this kind of stems across different educational institutions and, uh, sorry, political policy institutions, people who are in public foundations and people who are in private organizations. So this kind of is spanning a full range spectrum of conservatives. I think Jeb Bush is on there. <laughs>
0: But then you have Ilya Shapiro from the Cato Institute, and you've got. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking at the list now. You've got Alexander Hudson, who I go to church with, just to give her a shout out. Charles C.W. Coke Cook, excuse me, not Coke. Jonah Goldberg. Let's see. I saw. Su- I know I saw the Washington Post. George Will. I don't know how I forgot George Will's <coughs> name. <laughs> uh-huh. um, yeah, so it's the Larry Hogan's on there, who's a lot different than a lot politically, a lot different than Andrew Langer for Institute, who's on there for the. Institute for Liberty, which is a very Uh libertarian institute. So, yeah, it's got a wide range of people who broadly agree with the principles. And let's dive into those principles. I'll read them and then, or at least a truncated version of them. And then, why don't you expand on why you agree with it, why you think this is an important value for people to hold? Value number one, we affirm the following principles. Number one, liberty. Among Americans' most fundamental rights is the right to be free from the restriction of arbitrary force, a right that in turn derives from the inseparability of free will from what it means to be human. Liberty is indivisible, and political freedom cannot long exist without economic
1: freedom. Uh, So as it said right there in that first sentence, this is among the most fundamental rights. And I think Obviously, without liberty, we have no other rights. We have no other foundation uh, to operate on. So I think it's important for us to have that freedom from arbitrary force, to have freedom from overreaching government entities. And like it mentions at the end, economic freedom goes hand in hand with this. Um, It's really just the foundation for everything else. It's the,
0: yeah, it's the foundation of how we got to where we are as a nation, yeah. and the less freedom and liberty that we have, the, the worse the experiment gets. Number two, the pursuit of happiness. Most individuals are happiest in loving families and within stable and prosperous communities in which parents are free to engage in meaningful work and to raise and educate their children according to their values.
1: I absolutely love this principle one we're just starting to homeschool our children and so i really appreciate the support for us to be able to make those choices as parents as conservatives to instill what we think is most important in raising our children to help them be contributing members of society and the future leaders of our our nation so i really appreciate this principle i think it's very important for us to have the ability to act how we deem most beneficial for ourselves for our families for our loved ones
0: yeah i think it's important to support families obviously community is a huge part of this show and how we can build communities and where civil society is respected and used as the tool did an episode with dan i'm on my sixth interview today (laughs) hold on i'll just edit this part dan's slipping my mind for some reason yeah dan johnson Yeah, community is such an important point here. Dan Johnson was on recently talking about that, and we do a lot of that because civil society is incredibly important. You need issues that require a compassionate response are best done by private organizations and not profit-driven organizations or the government through coercion. So number three, the foundation of prosperity. The free enterprise system is the foundation of prosperity. Americans can only prosper in an economy in which they can afford the basics of everyday life, food, shelter, health care, and energy. A corrosive combination of government intervention and private cronyism is making these basics unaffordable to many Americans. We can commit to reducing – we commit to reducing the cost of living through competitive markets, greater individual choice, and free trade with free people – While upholding the rule of law, freedom of contract, and freedom of association,
1: I absolutely love this. As an entrepreneur, as somebody who fancies himself maybe just an entry level uh, economist, I how I operate in my life is entirely based on maybe this principle. So, for freedom of prosperity, we have the ability, like we said, to act in the manner most beneficial to ourselves. Financially. And I think through competitive markets, like it's mentioned here in, in this, uh, that's the best way for us to achieve uh, financial stability as a nation, as an individual, uh, for us to be competitive with different com- or countries, uh, for private ent- entities to be competitive in uh, business. Ultimately, this is what makes the economy move. This is what makes finance move. This is what makes business grow and people succeed.
0: Yeah, when people wake up in the morning excited about their their specialization, right? I'm an expert in podcasting. I don't know how to grow a turnip. I just put some mushrooms into some marinade, right? I don't know how to make teriyaki sauce, right? But somebody wakes up every day learning how to grow mushrooms or turnips or make the best teriyaki sauce there is, right? And that specialization where everybody gets to live out their passion and do meaningful work helps create this bed that allows this bed of, it's not just about the money, right? So I I have critics in my life that are uh, fans of socialism. They say, it's just all about the money with you guys. And that's not what it is. Prosperity is more than that. Prosperity is someone waking up and having the dignity of work that they love every single day to create income that they can then give back to their family, friends, community. And it's just the engine of... What has made America special?
1: And you mentioned create income, but I think more specifically, this is individuals having the freedom and ability to create value, not only for themselves, but for society as a whole, and drive the nation, their communities forward. Yes.
0: Number four, full faith and credit. The skyrocketing federal debt, which now exceeds the annual economic output of the United States, is an existential threat to the future, prosperity, liberty, and happiness of Americans, We commit to building a constructive reform agenda that can restore America's fiscal sustainability, ensuring that future generations inherit a more prosperous and secure nation than the one we now inhabit.
1: I I know most people that are going to be listening are going to feel the same way about this as I do. Every time I look at the national debt, there's another trillion added. Yeah. The spending just doesn't stop, and it's not sustainable. And fundamentally, I think most conservatives, libertarians, Republicans, wherever you're going to fall, view the spending and the government overreach in that uh, as just totally unacceptable. And so fiscal responsibility and the ability for us to better manage our economic output is going to be what ultimately drives our credit forward in the future as a nation and then subsequently down to citizens.
0: Number 5, a nation of laws not men. Equality under the law is a foundational principle of American liberty. Unfortunately, today this principle is under attack from those who believe that the rule of law does not apply to them. One manifestation of this problem is the explosion of unaccountable and unelected regulations, regulators, who routinely exceed their statutory authority and abridge Americans' constitutional rights. The president should not should only nominate policymakers and judges who are committed to upholding these rights.
1: I 100% agree with this statement. Um, I wrote an opinion piece a while back about uh, the ATF ruling by Executive Fiat. Um, They're not a lawmaking body, but they were instituting a pistol brace ban uh, unconstitutionally without the consent of Congress. Um, And instances like that, as well as instances where people feel there's a double standard in uh, law and order, that is different from maybe the ruling class and the the middle-class working man. Uh, and I feel like it's totally unacceptable. Uh, ultimately, our politicians are elected representatives, and our uh, president should be committed to nominating people that are going to support the Constitution in that manner and ensure that we're upholding that right and that freedom.
0: Yeah. Rule of law is incredibly important and incredibly foundation to the American system of government. I like that they pointed out the fact that we have overreached the Constitution. And I would also – I think immediately your mind goes to Trump, right? He's obviously on his fifth trial today, (laughs) literally. But – And he should be held to account if he's broken laws. But I think they've pointed out one aspect. There's a great book called Three Felonies a Day that talks about how every person breaks three federal statutes a day. And the Byzantine nature, the reason that the great empire of Byzantine collapsed was because of what's now called Byzantinism. Just the amount of regulations and rules and statutes and it just – it got – Everything got completely unpredictable and inflexible, and everybody was held to one standard, but not other people were held to different standards, and that's where we're at today. It's I do think that people on the right sometimes have the right – look, Donald Trump's a criminal, but hey, if we're going to hold him to this standard, let's hold everybody to that standard, and I agree. Let's lock up all the politicians. Number six, Americans by choice. Immigration is a principal driver of American prosperity and achievement. America is exceptional beyond because anyone from any corner of the earth can seek to live in America and become an American. Nearly all American citizens descend from someone who came here from somewhere else, and we must treat all citizens equally under the law. To this end, the United States as a sovereign nation has the right to secure its borders and design a rational immigration policy built on the rule of law that advances the interests and values of American citizens.
1: So this is probably one that I maybe – disagree with more than any of the others. Uh, and it largely stems down to uh, the securing of the borders type thing. I don't necessarily think that we should be having any border walls. I, I'm a supporter of open immigration and uh, making it really easy for Americans to immigrate. And I think that this policy also touches on that, though. it should, Immigration policy should be rational. It should be uh, understandable. It shouldn't be such a convoluted process that it actually deters people from being able to immigrate here. Our nation was obviously built by immigrants, and I think that there's a lot of value in that diversity that we can bring in. For example, uh, organizations that I've worked with and led, we typically are able to solve problems more efficiently if we have people with diverse backgrounds and different understandings uh, that can contribute to the discourse and the problem solving. I'm a supporter of immigration. I think we should be doing things to make it easier and more navigatable.
0: Yeah, you worked in the most diverse organization in the country, the army, right? In the military. You were in the army, right? Yes. Okay. I'm with you. I think that this is, I'm to, I guess, if you want to say the left of this particular position, I completely agree with the first part. I think that immigration is a moral good, and I just... Vivek Ramaswamy saying we need to deport naturalized citizens. It's just like a deal breaker for me with him. Like, I think that's an insane policy that creates all this unpredictability that's intended to terrorize people. And oh, it's just people who lied on their forms. You can go back on any form. Like, it's a basic principle of libertarianism is like, When the more rules the government designs, the more tricks that people who are motivated to Mm -hmm. use government force against you will actually use it. And this is one of those times where don't be naive, don't be deceived that when Stephen Miller and Donald Trump say that. Only people who lied on their application will get deported. You're going to wait two years and hear all these stories about people who didn't lie, but the government is saying they lied, and they're getting deported to a country where they never lived, had any attachment to their Americans. Yeah. And I can pr- completely agree on that. I do agree. I think I think it's just crazy we've gotten to a place in the last 10 years where you can no longer actually go through asylum The legal way. That's always the gotcha that you're arguing with somebody who is pro-immigration controls and they go, they just came here legally. These people came here legally and they still got deported or still are on the other side of the border. We're not following the laws. And I think that's troubling for sure. Absolutely. Number seven, out of many, one. The best way to unify a large and diverse nation like the United States is to transfer as many public policy choices as possible to families and communities. Much of the discord in America today comes from the fact that too many decisions are made for us by centralized authorities. The Constitution of the United States is best, the best arrangement yet devised for granting government the just authority the, to fulfill its proper role while restraining it from the concentration and abuse of power.
1: So as a libertarian, I think the entry here to this paragraph, we need to decentralize and delegate authority to the lowest level. I view central planning and subsequently centralized decision-making as abhorrent, right? It's totally inefficient. You're having people that are not knowledgeable making these decisions about why stretches of the economy and of public policy and of the lives of of people that they have no no knowledge of. So central planning is not the way to go. Centralized decision-making, not the way to go. Big supporter of delegated authority and making decisions at the lowest level. And I think ultimately, the family unit should probably be the entity that has the most control over the family unit's life. 100%. Um, Yeah.
0: It is, and and extended families too, there's, we'll be doing more on that, but yeah, the, when you engage in voluntary acts with other people, and trade, and commerce, and (laughs) not, not other things, but when you are engaged in protecting your community, when you're engaged in feeding your community, we have an episode coming up with Joe Garrison, who started this organization called the North Shadeland Alliance where someone who worked at Subway that he knew that he saw all the time was murdered. And he got a group of citizens together and started this group just to put a police substation in their local area to curb crime. And then that led to solving the problem of the food desert in their area. And then that led to more political action to help grow their voice for this part of town. That's always been disconnected. Here's a guy who just said, I'm going to do something about this with my fellow citizens And next thing, he's getting all of this positive interaction with people that he would have never met, and they're interacting with each other, and they're feeling a sense of responsibility cross-culturally, cross-racially, cross-income to protect their community, to feed their community, to do things that are really important. The idea of pluralism is under attack on the right, when in reality, pluralism can be a strength— when you're actually using civil society to solve these problems, as opposed to fighting for the gun of government to point it at the left's head, so I've always disagreed with the left as a policy strategy, a broadcast strategy. I just think it's it's too weak and anemic to actually fix the problems,
1: definitely. I really like what you brought up. The example of taking that one action in the community has snowballed into this huge change for the community. Uh, Ultimately, people taking actions like that at a low level, whether it's uh, your city, your town, uh, your neighborhood even, uh, you get a little bit more buy-in to the community as well. You're more invested in it. Uh, It gives you some ownership of your locale. And I think that's really important for Americans because it gives us that purpose and drive to keep embettering our situation
0: number eight america's promissory note martin luther king jr described the constitution and declaration of independence as containing quote magnificent words a promissory note to which every american was fall to fall heir prior to 1964 however slavery and segregation were enforced by state governments and in many cases by the federal government Many who descend from victims of this system now face economic and personal hurdles that are a direct legacy of this result. We commit to expanding opportunity for those who face challenges due to the pa- to past government restrictions on individual and economic freedom. We adamantly oppose racial discrimination in all of its forms, either against or for any person or group of people."
1: Uh, I think that last two sentences there is very powerful. Ultimately, everyone, conservative, liberal, wherever you're going to fall in the spectrum, you have to agree that we need to oppose racial discrimination. It's You would think. Yeah, you would think. It's an <laughs> abhorrent principle. It's inhumane. I just don't – I have a hard time understanding how people can just be racist or discriminatory to begin with. Like I said before, with the immigration principle, I recognize that in the organizations I've worked with, like you mentioned, in the military, there's a real value to getting this expertise from different people of different backgrounds. And just to judge somebody from a different racial background or ethnic background than you, I think is an abhorrent policy. So I'm, I'm glad this was included in the statement of principles. I think it's Definitely something that that anybody across a political spectrum should be able to agree with.
0: Yeah, I think as conservatives, the conservative movement and Republicans have obviously never done enough to have conversations or to do to take any steps towards ra- racial reconciliation. And it's obviously hurt them with future generations. So I think if you're writing this statement This is an important one to put in there and say, look, we're not your grandfather's GOP, but I also think it doesn't go far enough in starting the conversation. I think there's – I think all of these are very careful, right? Because they want to build a broad coalition, so they're going to be as careful as possible. But I think just including race and racism and recognizing the problem that the right has in catering to racists, in protecting the feelings of racists is a step. in the right direction. Maybe (laughs) not both feet, but it's, I think it's a step for sure.
1: I think it, if nothing else, it's a foundation that builds a little bit of common ground. Like you noted, looking through the signers on the list, there's people from a a large cross section of backgrounds in politics here. And if we can create some common ground and create discourse around that, it gives us a a platform to begin to move forward and, and solve problems.
0: Number nine out of ten here. We're almost to the end here. The shining city on a hill. American foreign policy must be judged by one criterion above all, its service to the just interests of the United States. Americans are safest and freest in a peaceful world led by the United States in which other nations uphold individual liberty and the sovereignty of their neighbors.
1: So my my thought when I read this statement is the best way for us as the United States to lead those other nations is by maximally upholding individual liberty and the that fundamental liberty principle that we discussed in the first principle. So I, I view this policy as or this principle as the United, a call to action for the United States to one get back to a basis of individual liberty, to be laser focused on internal policy and internal defense, and, and then setting the example of that policy
0: yeah it's really trying to negotiate a point of agreement right because i'm non-interventionist i am i agree with jonah goldberg on so much but i listen to him talk about foreign policy and we're on different planets a lot of of the time but i think if you can come together and say look does this serve the interests of the united states let's argue about that does it keep us safe and free where we are leaders our other nations upholding individual liberty and so- the sovereignty of their neighbors, I think I can look at it and go Russia invaded the sovereignty of the Ukraine and doesn't have individually individual liberty at its hearts no matter what the issues are in Ukrainian mm-hmm. politics – they are the victims in this particular. Now, what do we do about it? That's, I think, where it falls starts to fall apart because I don't want to give any more money to Ukraine. Sure. And I'm sure a lot of people on this list would want to give more money to Ukraine. But at least we're trying to find a language where these two sides can start to find points of agreement. The, I think the critique of that from the more radical wing of the libertarian movement would be – Okay, yeah, fine points of agreement, but you're never going to, you're just going to get snowed. It's a MAGA, the valid MAGA argument of why are we always trying to appeal to the media? Why are we always trying to negotiate certain stances with Hakeem Jeffries? Because eventually you just end up a Republican that agrees with Medicaid instead of wanting to advocate for getting rid of it, right? Which is the Michael Malice argument against the modern GOP, which is completely fair, right? You can be conciliatory to the point of losing your principles in some of it. So I think this one is just broad enough and just slippery enough that you and I can slide in there and go, okay, we're, we'll at least be willing to agree to certain points of agreement to be a part of the conversation as a goodwill gesture. But I also don't think that non-interventionists are going to get from the people on this list the the kind of conversation or points of agreement back that we'd like so that's one of my hesitations with this particular piece
1: yeah i think it's similar to the last one where largely it's a foundation to find some common ground and then you can have some discourse and and move forward
0: number 10 freedom of conscience essential to a free society is the freedom to say and think what one believes to be true Under the First and Fourteenth Amendments to the Constitution, federal and state governments have a legal obligation to uphold and protect these freedoms. Private institutions have a moral obligation to do the same.
1: Personally, I take this one a step further than what is in the text, whether it's reading between the lines or just something I've made up in my own head. The freedom to say and think what you believe is fantastic. I think you take that a step further and you say this is the freedom to uphold your own morals and ethics. So I think it's crucial for the government to be able to uphold that principle for us. And I think that's something that conservatism across the board kind of can rally behind.
0: Yeah, I think freedom of speech, just as a basic principle, is so incredibly important and something that can unite everybody. It's one of the few things that between freedom conservatives and Larry Hogan and the MAGA right and QAnon, like, Everybody can begin. I, I, th- I like that they're trying to find these little points of agreement. That look, let's at least get the com- conversated- conversation started back in a direction of civility, mm-hmm. as opposed to like carving each other up and trying to, to go at each other. I don't think anybody in the Trump camp is going to read this and go, you know what? It's time for civility. I just yeah. they're, they think they're still on the ascendancy. They're going to have to lose one more time <laughs> to, <laughs> to be humbled before people with hubris can really start to have those conversations. And then most of them will not admit that they lost it, that they did anything wrong or were ineffective. But overall, I agree with all of these principles. Anything that moves us in a direction of limited government and greater individual so- sovereignty from the government, I think is incredibly important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think largely these 10 principles, they do a really good job of bringing the conversation back to a a root of conservatism. It's a refocusing lens for us to all get back onto the same page, reinitiate conversation, and start talking about things that are actually mattering in uh, modern politics and discourse all
0: right parker shameless self-promotion time if anybody wants to read these you can check it out in the show notes leave your questions and comments go to the chris spangle.com go to the substat go to the page there and leave a comment start the conversation and chat with other folks shameless self-promotion time where can people follow you
1: like you said before it's parker underscore McCumber. that's spelled m-c-u-m-b-e-r on twitter that's right darn not x
0: all right parker thanks so much for joining us
1: okay thank you so much for having me
0: and thank you so much for listening we really do appreciate your time we know it is valuable you've got a lot of options so we appreciate you listening and if you got something out of it if you want to share the word that would be a great way to promote this show thank you so much for listening to the chris spangle show